So, uh, you know, first off, I always ask someone this when they come on the podcast, you know, how did you uh, get started in lacrosse? played lacrosse in Long Island at Manhattan High School and, and at Princeton and in the Marine Corps afterwards and in our house growing up if uh, if you wanted to play lacrosse my dad had you covered if you wanted to play baseball you had to buy your own baseball mitt and I didn't have $40 for the Reggie Jackson autographed Wilson baseball gloves so lacrosse quickly became a household passion for my brother and I All right. and then uh, you know uh, it's been a few months now but what was your first thought uh First thoughts after the first year of the PLL? Uh, you know, I was blown away by how uh, professional it was across the board. I was blown away by the telecast of, uh, or the broadcast of, mm-hmm. of NBC and, and so impressed with Brendan and Paul Burmeister and Brian Boyle and, um, you know, Chantel and, and uh, you know, all of the people that, you know, brought it into everybody's household uh, across the country and anybody that had NBC package. Um, you know, the play on the field speaks for itself. I don't think I've ever seen a higher level of play on a consistent basis in my life. I played in the MLL for two years when, when the league first started. I've tried out for the U.S. World Team, uh, you know, two or three times. And I can honestly say that the play during the PLL, try, uh, during the PLL games, uh, you know, rivaled that of the bubble game in the U.S. World Tryouts, which mm-hmm. you know is uh, is as fast as it could possibly be. Yeah. All right. And then you know you had previously the you, know, you had coached in college. What was the kind of uh, was there a transition to the pro game, and what was the biggest adjustment for you as a coach? Uh, you know the transition from coaching Division One lacrosse to, to pro lacrosse was a great one. You know, mm-hmm. I, I hadn't coached Division One lacrosse since the year 2014. Yeah, yeah. So to be able to have, you know, four or five years out of that, uh, you know, got me refreshed for sure. Uh, the, the pro game is so much more enjoyable to coach, to be honest with you. Number one, you're coaching men, uh, you know, who are playing the game at the highest level, and it's, it's all about lacrosse, and it's all about the league. Um, you know, in college, you really have to, uh, you know, have a really good handle on the recruiting base. You know, that that is the foundation of the success of your mm-hmm. program. And, um, you know, that is, is, is needs perpetual attention. Um, you know, you have to worry about these guys making the right decisions off the field in the fraternities. Um, you know, and you have to worry about their performance in the classroom. And, and when you're coaching, you know, professional lacrosse, obviously you have concern for, the welfare of all the players mm-hmm. on your team, but you don't have to, um, you know, manage those other aspects that, that frankly become tiresome or they became tiresome for me over time. And so it's, it's just been a, it's been a, a incredible experience to be able to coach the best players in the world on such a grand platform with coverage from a, you know, uh, a, a, NBC and uh, and have it be just about lacrosse. And then uh, you know, yesterday the expansion draft protection and unprotection list came out. What was uh, what was your process in uh, creating that for chaos? Well, I, I you know I got two great coaches that I coach with, and, and Matt Panetta who mm-hmm. runs our offense, and Ryan Curtis who runs our defense, and 
you know, what we did is we all constructed a list based on uh, who we thought we should protect and based on, um, you know, the desire, mutual desire to keep our entire roster intact. You know, obviously there's a ton of great players in the world and uh, Coach Copeland and the Water Dogs are going to have, you know, an extraordinarily talented team right off the Mm -hmm. bat. I'm just praying that there are no members from chaos on that team. Uh, you know, so we really tried to construct a protected roster that would minimize the chances of guys getting taken by the water dogs. Now, are we going to lose some guys? Yeah, we'll probably lose some guys. And I have an idea of probably who they are. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm praying it doesn't happen, but if it does happen, you know, we obviously have, uh, you know, a plan in place to be able to soften that fall in the greatest way possible. And, uh, and hopefully be, uh, you know, more successful in 2020 than we were in 2019. Yeah. What was, what was uh, one of the toughest decisions uh, for you all? Well, you know, you're looking at a roster of, uh, you know, 20 guys that basically dressed for every single game. Mm-hmm. And out of that list of 20, we probably had 16 or 17 guys that played every game for us or, or 90% of the games. And so certainly those guys were all really uh, challenging to leave unprotected. Uh, you, you know, the obvious names you look at, um, you know, Miles Thompson and, and um, uh, Eric Scott, Dane Smith, and, yeah. and Kevin Buchanan, and Pat Resch, and Brody Merrill, uh, Kyle McClancy. You know, we are fortunate in that Matt Reese and, and Johnny Cernick were protected due to mm-hmm. their military requirements. Um, you know, but equally painful is putting somebody like Curtis Dixon out there who, you know, maybe the best right-handed dodging attackman on the planet. Mm -hmm. And, you know, to be able to not protect him was a really tough decision. But the reality is, you know, we weren't able to get him into a chaos uniform last summer. And even though he was on our team, you know, due to some injuries and some, uh, visa issues, and then obviously his, uh, summer box playoffs. Mm -hmm down the stretch of the season we just could never get Curtis in a uniform and and so you know I, I felt like it was tough to justify protecting him when he hadn't played a minute for us last summer but right. certainly it's not lost on us that he's a an unbelievable player and, and I'm really hoping that you know we we have him this summer um you know but look it, you know when they when they when you have such a talented roster to begin with and you can only protect 10 guys and then the 11th is the goalie um you know you're you're going to leave unbelievable players some of your best players unprotected and unfortunately we had to do that you know but fortunately the other teams all had to do that as well all right last question here so you know as uh we're in january february is approaching in college across season what it, what are some things you're looking uh forward to uh during this college season well you know you look at the success i do a weekly podcast as well too mm-hmm. i don't know if you've heard it but oh yeah just, yeah i've listened to that a little bit um, and so we do it on Division One College Across, and so I, I'm I'm really number one, really excited to watch the uh, emergence of what I would consider a fourth team out there. You know, I look at the teams going into the 2020 season, and I really see Penn State, Virginia, and Yale, mm-hmm. um, you know, as one group. And and who's going to be that fourth team that steps up? Will it be Maryland? Will they come back? Will Carolina emerge now? They got some consistency in the goal, mm-hmm. Keaton Johnson, and. Um, you know, uh, Chris Gray attacked to, to be a true QB that they haven't had since the 2016 season. Um, you know, what's going to happen in the Ivy League? 
you know, you got so many unbelievable players in the senior class. Who's going to have a great year? Who else is going to emerge that we, you know, aren't necessarily talking about going into the season? And, and which guys are going to fall off? And, 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 you know, coaching in the PLL and, and certainly being aware of, you know, the draft coming up in uh, – in April, I got to keep an eye on, on the great seniors that I think can step in and compete to play right away for us on chaos. Um, you know, but at the same time, just having an appreciation for division one lacrosse and all that goes into it. I'm anxious to see who that, who that fourth team is that's going to emerge, you know? Uh, and, and there's a lot of great teams. I, I think there's more depth in division one lacrosse than there's ever been. And, you know, certainly you've got, you know, the annual contenders that are there every year in Notre Dame and Maryland and Penn State and Ohio State and Hopkins and, and Syracuse, um, you know, but to me, you got three teams that really stand alone. And then who's going to be that fourth team that's going to emerge out of that sort of next group of, of eight to 10 to 12 teams.